cannot hear. And they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus spits on his tongue. It's a unique one. It's a unique one. Really kind of bizarre. Pulls him aside, by the way. It would be like if, 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 if you brought someone here today, right now, and brought him and said, hey, uh, miracle, I'll be Jesus, you be these people, and you bring this person up, and they need a miracle, and I say, okay, thank you so much. And we walk around the corner, down the back hallway, and into the office area. That's what Jesus did. He pulls this guy aside, totally takes him away from everyone else, maybe not to gross him out, I don't know, but he spit, he spit on the dude's tongue. And then he says, hey, don't tell, bro. You can hear and you can see, but don't tell. It's a weird, it's just a weird miracle. Jesus healed people all kinds of different ways. That's one of the most, that's just one of the most bizarre. It's very odd. It's very curious, these two. And they're at the very, they're at the very bottom of the chapter. But what I want us to do this morning is pull back, pull back the lens a little bit and look at the context of what is going on in the room and where the room actually is. This whole chapter is a story that Mark is crafting for us. I was just thinking of this story when I first read it. This is the truth. I, I read it last week, early, early in the week, and I was like, I just read Mark 7, and I'm like, inside, outside, upside, down. That's literally what I started singing. I'm like, inside, outside, upside, down. Really, it's about... In the, in the chapter, it's really more about instead of inside, it's insider. There's an insider. There are actually several insiders. Those would be the Pharisees and the disciples. These were uh, men that were the insiders. And then, and then you've got inside, outside, but really it's outsider. The outsider would be the woman, would be the man who could not speak. And then upside down is just how this whole miracle happened. Like, her faith her words. Usually, other miracles, Jesus will say something, right? We, we read about the storm, and Jesus gets up on the boat, and he says, peace, be still, and everything calm. To the man even, he says, be opened. Ephathra, we'll read that in a moment. But this one, all he does is he just confirms what she said. He just simply confirms what she said. She brings it, and he just goes, you know, you're right. In the NIV, the heading, if you have an NIV Bible, or if you want to look on your phone, however you roll through the Scripture, we're going to read Mark chapter 7. The heading is this. That which defiles. This chapter is about that which defiles. What's okay? What's not? Who's in? Who's out? This chapter is really about who gets to go with us to the roof and who we get to lay before his feet. Let's read it. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. And they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they were unwashed. So the Pharisees, parenthetic note, you may see verse 3 is parentheses, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. It goes on. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles, close parentheses. 
Verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, they go straight to him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have, to let, you, you have let go of the commands of God, and you're holding on to human tradition. Verse 9, he continues. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say... That if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban, again, parenthetic note, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Very interesting phrase. You do all kinds of stuff like that. Verse 14. And Jesus calls the crowd to him. Now, he turns, right? He had the question from the Pharisees, the insiders, and he gives it to them, and then he turns, he calls the crowd to him, and he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he left the crowd and he entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. So he does all that, says it to the crowd, goes into this house that he's staying in. So his disciples get around him, which is something they did periodically. They'd come around and say, hey, can you explain this to us? So they asked him about this parable, verse 18, his reply, are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body, parenthetic note again, in saying this, Jesus declares that all foods are clean. Now, what's funny is we know if you're a student of the Bible that uh, Corinthians and some other places, there's all kinds of conversation about this guy thinks this food is good, not good, and that, and if they think it's not good, then you got to accommodate this and don't offend a weaker brother and all that business. When Jesus clears it up right here, he says all foods are clean, not a deal. Verse 20. He goes on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. He lists some things. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. I picture Jesus saying that a bit more like a Pentecostal preacher than I just gave it to you right then. He's on a roll here. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, here's the shift. Jesus left that place. Jesus was in a Jewish region. He left that place, and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house in Tyre and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she, this is this woman in question, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek So she's a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia. I'll point it out in a minute. We've got a slide, I think, that has a map. We'll point it out in a few minutes. But the coast is Phoenicia. Phoenicia is actually a word that means purple. 
That's where they had these little snails and got purple dye. So Phoenicia is this little bitty strip of land. Think of Delaware, right? This little strip of land on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And then all above it is Syria. So this woman is Syrian Phoenician. She's a foreigner. She's a Gentile. And she's a woman. Not a good day. Not a good day in this culture to approach the rabbi. Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demons out of her daughter. Verse 27, first, here's the famous phrase, first let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So earlier when I said this Syrian Tyre Sidon place is the region of the dogs, it was Gentile, it was pagan, non-Jewish, and we'll just call it the region of the dogs because that's who lived there according to this. Lord, she says, verse 28, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he tells her, Jesus, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. For such a reply. Again, the NLT says, you know, you're right. Good answer. She goes home, found her child lying on the bed. Demon was gone. Verse 31. Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, which is actually a little bit further north. Down to, and then from, now he goes down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. Up here, you can see this spread across the middle. You can see Mount Tabor, Bethsaida. That's colored, that's a Jewish region. To the north is Syria. Tyre, you see. It's, Capernaum is at the top of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is at the top of the Sea of Galilee. 35 miles is Tyre. Sidon is 50 miles from Capernaum. How many this afternoon when it warms up think you might go out and take a 35-mile walk? Anybody? He goes there on purpose. He enters the pagan, Gentile region on purpose. And then from Tyre, he goes to Sidon. And he's not in a tent. Scripture clearly tells us he is staying in a house. Goes all the way up there. Then he comes back down, goes through Galilee to, and this is the lower piece, Decapolis, and you can see the city Gadara. That's the one I mentioned earlier about the demoniac and the 6,000 devils, all that. So he goes down. So he goes from Galilee to Syria, hangs out there, comes back through Galilee and goes to the southern Gentile region, Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and he could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Which he could have just done. <laughs> right? The woman before, he didn't even say anything. He just goes, okay. But, but after he took him aside, verse 33, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and he touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephathra, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly, which is just incredible. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He, had, he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The actual miracle wasn't even spoken. It was just uh, responsive to the faith of the one who was the outcast. Jesus simply made a point. 
He made a point. He said, you know what? It's, it's not okay that I take the children's bread and give it to, which is kind of harsh, right? Give it to a dog. I don't know how that would go if I said that in a counseling session with someone, but I'm thinking it wouldn't go over that well, right? That's kind of harsh. Well, I don't really do counseling for dogs. What? That's rough. She counters. She counters him. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But even the dogs eat the crumbs, and he simply looks at her and he says, you know, you're right. Did did you hear the walls falling down as he said that? (laughs) Did you hear all the structures that we put up crumble? Begin to shake and teeter and fall as he looks at this woman and he says, you know what? You're right. That was a good answer. I think about the, the flow of the Scripture because that's such a harsh statement. And and. And Jesus had gone intentionally to Tyre. Intentionally. That's that's on the way to nowhere. He intentionally goes there. But there was another place He intentionally went. He intentionally went to the woman at the well. When you look at His travel, He intentionally made a southern loop to go to that well that day and see her. And no one else was there. And He timed it, and it was on purpose. And so it's not like He hasn't hung out with people that are outcast already. So I think about it. The woman at the well is in John chapter 4. In John chapter 6, he feeds 5,000. So he's with the woman at the well before he feeds 5,000. John chapter 6. But interestingly, it's also Mark chapter 6. Arnick said that to us last week. He preached a wonderful message last week. Mark chapter 6 is where he feeds the 5,000. And now in Mark 7, he says this to the Syrophoenician woman. So I'm thinking about this all week. I'm like, what are the differences here? A Samaritan is an outcast. The whole parable about the good Samaritan is the fact that the religious went another way and this guy that just doesn't have any business doing anything good at all does all the good. That's the contrast Jesus is setting up. They are seriously outcast. In some respects, there's Jew, there's Gentile, and then Samaritan, everybody hates them. They're outcast by everybody. So it's such a curious and interesting thing that Jesus has already done this moment with this woman, woman and Samaritan. Again, in that culture, not good. She even looks at him and she says, what are you doing talking to me, a Samaritan? What are you doing? Now, the Samaritan woman does in the story... She says, well, we have Abraham to our father. Because of Samaritan, part Jew, part Gentile. And and she's talking about, you know, this well dug by our father Jacob, right? So maybe that's the connection. But this wouldn't be any point of reference at all for the Syrian woman. She, She wouldn't have that at all. And my question is like, where is Jesus when he's doing these things? And I think that's such a context for these two simple miracles that happened. They're not very flashy. (laughs) Literally, he's reading a magazine, and she comes up and says, hey, will you heal my daughter? And he's like, no, I'm not messing with you. Yeah, yeah, but. And he goes, okay. Like, that's a very short documentary. That's short. There's not a lot there. 
And so I look back and I pull back and I look. I'm like, where is he? Well, he's 35 miles north of Capernaum. 50 miles north of Capernaum. He leaves Galilee. He goes down and he heals this woman. And then he goes further north. He's coming down from up high. It's about 80 miles. It's an 80-mile walk. <laughs> Brian, you and I ride bikes. 80 miles is a, it's a haul. I rode 53 miles on my 53rd birthday. And at mile 51, I was like, <laughs> okay, let's go. I was at a farm road up by where you teach school. I'm like, come on. I was like circling farmhouses and stuff, trying to get that 53rd mile. That's a long way, 80 miles. 80 miles to go to the outcast. 80 miles to take the room to the people that need the room. Some of you may know that Matthew 11 teaches that Tyre and Sidon are pagan cities and compares them literally to Sodom. Jesus looks around and He said, you know what? If the works that I did here were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. You know what? If the works that I did here were done in Sodom, they would have repented. Like he puts Tyre and Sidon and Sodom all together. And in verse 24, we read it. Jesus enters a house. Whose house? <laughs> Whose house? Those are the kind of questions. I don't know if you go to heaven, you have questions for God, but these are the kind of questions I'm having. I'm like, so, Mark 7, like, whose house were you hanging out in? Mark 9, Bo's going to preach that in a couple of weeks. Mark 9, when the disciples were all together and they were all ticked off because another group of people are casting out devils in your name, who were those guys? Like, where were they? Did you meet with them on the side? Like, you, what, Zoom call? Like, how did you connect with those people? Those are my questions. You see, the chapter enters with the unclean mess that comes from not washing your hands. And then Jesus goes into a Syrian house. I said that Matthew 7 correlates with Matthew 15. You can throw Matthew 15 up here. Matthew 15, 22 and 23, it calls her a Canaanite woman from that vicinity. So in Mark, it says she's a Greek, a Syrophoenician, and this calls her a Canaanite woman. Canaanite woman, not any better of a moniker, by the way. Okay. That doesn't endear you to the heart of a Jew. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to the rescue. They came to him and they urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying after us. Now scholars tell us that Matthew wrote to the Jews. A Canaanite would have been rejected by the Jews. False gods in Canaan, not good to have on your resume. So Matthew's writing this and identifies her as the greatest outcast a Jew could hear, Canaanite. Mark, we're told, wrote to the Gentiles. He identifies her as a Greek and a Syrian. Gentiles hear that. They hear that Jesus healed one of us. They read the book of Mark and they're like, Jesus healed one of us. And he was actually in her homeland. This is a message to his disciples still, you know. Where do we fit into this miracle story? Like, where is it? 
Who are you in the plot of chapter 7? Last week, when Arnick was preaching about the miracle of feeding the 5,000, the disciples had an answer. They had a plan. I closed with it last week. I mentioned it. Their plan was, hey, there are 15,000 people here that are hungry. I have a plan. Anybody know what that plan was? Send them away. That's my plan. They're here. They're listening to you. They're open. They're hungry. I have a plan. Send them away. Mark 6. Mark 7. The Greek Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite, comes to Jesus, finds him. He's in her land, but she finds him, and they have another plan how to solve that one. Send her away. If we try to apply this story to our lives, it uh, appears that we have four character choices. Pharisees, the disciples, the woman, or Jesus. And we read the Bible in order to do this. We preach in order to do this. We study in order to do this. We, we reach into the Scripture to say, you know, how can I apply this to me? Where can this fit for me? Who am I in this story? How about this? Who can I be in this story? How might you be speaking to me, Jesus? Holy Spirit, how might you be talking to me through these ancient writings? And it appears that we have four character options if we are casting for this story. The Pharisees were concerned about being ritually clean. The disciples recommended that she go somewhere else. The outcast was just looking for a miracle. And Jesus was the only one having a conversation with the outcast, changing his position and healing her. This is a challenging story. Because it challenges us to make a decision about who gets in the room. And also, where we take the room. The Syrophoenician woman, the man that his friends brought him that couldn't speak and couldn't hear, they didn't bring those people to Capernaum. They didn't bring those people to Galilee. Clearly, Jesus was on mission. He went to these places. What would it take for us to get the courage to step out and ask for the miracle? When we feel like we're the outcast, when we feel like we're the one that cannot lift our head in His presence, you're here, you're here, but you know your feelings of inadequacy, your feelings of failure, repetitive failure, Again and again, the embarrassment, the shame, and you are here. My encouragement would be to realize that because you are here, the Scripture teaches us, Jesus says it in John, you didn't come here because of you. You came here because the Spirit drew you. We come to Him because He draws us. And I know, in my mind, your mind, we're probably thinking, okay, i gotta, I got to get ready and go. 
Okay, I know you do go. We do go. We get in our car, we fire it up, we come to church. I get it. We're here. You're here. But I want you to have the encouragement that He drew you here. You were drawn to this place. And stand in that for a minute and let it cause your feet to feel strong. And let it cause your hands to open. To be able to receive from the fact that He brought you here. And you can have the courage to ask for that miracle. You see, the woman at the well, she knew. I said it earlier. She's like, what are you doing talking to me? She knew. This woman, he just straight up shuts the door. And then she says, yeah, but. Anybody got a yeah, but in them? She could look at Jesus and go, I know. I know my story. But. I know my story, but I know who you are. And Lord, you're here. We're together. We're in this place together. And may you have the courage to ask for the miracle. And then what would it take for us to get the courage to have a conversation and be a healer like Jesus? What would it take for us to be that person? Because the Pharisee character that's all about the ritual cleansing and the traditions of the elders, don't be that person. Don't be that person. The disciples that your answer is, well, uh, how about you leave? Don't be that person. Don't, don't, you get four choices. Don't be those two. Don't, don't pick those two. Lean in to the possibility of a miracle. Lean in to the connection of Jesus. And also, lean into the courage that there is an intersection and He has brought us together. And instead of the Pharisee response or the disciple response, instead of those two, can we celebrate that this person is here asking for Jesus in the room. In the room. We're going to sing it again. They're going to cue this song. I just want to be in the room when you move. And if I'm in a room and he comes to me, awesome. I'm willing to go to the room where he is. Aren't you? Well, you did. You're here today. You're willing to come to the room where he is moving. He's also very willing to come to the room where you are. He will come to the room where you are. And we are going to be the ones that tear off the roof. Lower them down. Whatever it takes. We're going to get you there. Push through the crowd. Roll away the stone. That's what we're going to do. As we sing this in closing, Bo's going to come up in just a moment, but as we sing this, go ahead and fire it up, uh, Arnick, start that for me. As we sing this, let it be your prayer. If it's a miracle you need, then have the courage to ask. But if Jesus is prompting you to be Him in this space, the courage to have the conversation and be a healer.